G'day. We hope you're enjoying our podcast. Producing a podcast is costly, both time and money. If you'd like to show your support and offer a one-off payment, even the price of a coffee or a beer, that'd be greatly appreciated and would go a long way to support us. If you'd like to leave a donation, head to the show notes of this episode and click on the ACAST supporter link. Be sure to leave your message of support too. Thanks again. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The thoughts and opinions shared in this podcast are just that. It's up to the listener to decide what is true and what is not true. This podcast contains coarse language, references to violence, sexual abuse, and murder, and may not be suitable for everyone. Discretion is advised. This is Who Killed Leanne Holland. Well, g'day, Graham, and welcome to episode 18 of Who Killed Leanne Holland. This episode is called Denial. It's been a long time since we've graced the airwaves. So, Graham. How are you, mate? I'm very well, thanks, Jamie. And you? Oh, mate, I'm pretty good. I can't complain, you know, just doing doing life. I haven't been too active on the podcast front, unlike you, with your success of Loose Ends. Yeah, what a great podcast, mate, and you did so much effort, and you could really tell you put so much effort into that by the quality that you produced. And, mate, I hope to see some more episodes coming out about that one. Very interesting and uh, a very crazy story, mate. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. It is a crazy story and it has been a huge job. We've talked about this in the past. I really would have liked you on it, but that wasn't to be. We are kicking some goals with it. I think it was a bit like Leanne Holland when we started that. We thought it would be seven or eight episodes and here we are in episode 18. Yes. Loose Ends, I thought, would be seven or eight as well and that's now up to 21 and still going strong, and there's still more stuff to come out. And with that DNA inquiry, well, the stuff that's coming out of there is amazing, and it actually impacts on on the Singh case, which uh, I talk about in a future episode. So, yeah, plenty happening, and plenty happening with Leanne Holland too. As you know, we've decided to dissect the police review in detail, we've talked to we've talked about it in the past. We talked about it last year, and on that point, you know, it's been over a year since we've broadcast anything on Leanne Holland. It's just time just gets away from you, doesn't it? It does. Well, this case has been following you, or you've been following it for you know the better part of three decades. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, weird, eh? Amazing. Yeah. yeah, but you know, you always learn something. Got to hand it to yourself because a lot of people have done one episode here and there, or a news article here or there, but you've stuck it through. So, well, well it wasn't like a dog with a bone. <laughs> well, it wasn't so much that. It's the the case just uh, took on a life of its own, and it went where it wanted to go, and and I followed basically. Mm-hmm. And and on that, uh, I still get plenty of requests for the for a copy 
of the book that Paul Wilson and I wrote. We wrote that 22 years ago. Were you even born then? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 86, yeah, mate, yeah. 86. So, so <laughs> yeah, I knew that. We wrote that 22 years ago. It's out of date. It's out of print. Joe Crowley and I decided that uh, we wanted to update it. There's been so much come out on the Holland case since the year 2000. Just as much or more has come out on the Holland case since 2000 as before 2000. Mm -hmm. So we want to, and we are in the process of of writing the book again and updating it. The stuff that's come out since 2000 is just incredible. Pedophile Pete, Mark Thomas Noble, the police review where they continued to deny there was ever a problem with the Holland murder investigation and refused to release it. The leaking of the review to uh, Channel 7, pedophile Pete being arrested a couple of years ago for the rape of his 12-year-old granddaughter, and it just goes on and on. Well, I mean, a true crime book written 22 years ago on basically now what is an unsolved case, really. I mean, the conviction was quashed, so now where does that leave us? Exactly. You know, there's, it needs to be updated. Queensland Police won't agree with that comment, but yes, it is an unsolved case. The reason, as you know, for, for this episode, denial, and that's not the river in Egypt, Jamie. <laughs> Yeah, I always struggle with that one, whether it was the Nile or denial, but yeah. It's not the river in Egypt. It's the psychological state the Queensland police have adopted over the Holland case. So, mm-hmm. And in the more than 12 months since we last broadcast, guess what? Still no coronial inquest and still no release of the full police report. What a surprise. What a surprise, mate. And that was one of my impersonations of you about the police review if you remember that one (laughs) yes yes i do thanks (laughs) yes well um anyway let's let's jump straight into it and uh what have you researched what have you found to that led us here graham well firstly a shout out to uh, greg carey absolutely as you know was on our podcast he was a long time host at radio 4bc he took a great interest in the case he became friends with the jury foreman who contacted him. About two months ago, Greg released his memoir called An Absence of Certainty. Now, I'm not sure if you've read it, have you? No, it's, no, I haven't. A, I can recommend it to anyone who's listening and who knows or followed Greg Carey. It's a fabulous read. Incidentally, in the book, he talks about two cases that he followed in his career on 4BC and the Holland case was one of them. And it's quite remarkable, really, that the jury foreman would hear Greg talking on radio about the Holland case, and he would then initiate a call to the host and uh, end up striking up a friendship. It's quite remarkable, it, really. It is, and he became friends with Graham Stafford. Yeah. Well, there you go. Stranger things have happened, Yeah, mate. and kudos, I guess, to Graham Stafford. He could have been angry and bitter that the, the jury found him guilty. But he took it on the chin and became friends with the jury foreman. Yep. Just another weird aspect of this case. It is. And before we do dive in, uh, we just want to thank everybody for the continued feedback. We try to reply where possible, but we do get bombarded with uh, messages, emails, and comments. So it can be tricky. But yeah, thank you for commenting. We do love to read them. Uh, not so much the negative ones or the hate mail, but yeah, keep them coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yes. Yeah. And speaking of that, Mark contacted me recently and queried whether we had ever considered aerial photography of the Red Bank area. And that's something, you know, I've thought about over the years. As it's been 30 years, anything that was classified as secret would now be released. And I reckon there would be satellite images of Red Bank planes and Goodner at least once in that week, starting the 23rd of September 1991. Or maybe even RAAF surveillance photos. I've trawled through many websites looking for satellite images, and I just can't find anything that goes back that far. Mm. So if anyone's got any expertise in that area, I'd really appreciate some help. Yes, that would be interesting to see an aerial picture. I mean, now we've got drones, but 30 years ago, you know, there wasn't Mm. that luxury of throwing a drone up in the air and taking a photo. You know, a satellite image may show nothing, but then again, it may show something. You don't know unless you have a look. Mm-hmm. Yep. And speaking of feedback, being heartened by the increasing number of police who engage with our podcasts. Police, they're a funny breed. To my mind, they're fence-sitters. They have an opinion, but they keep it to themselves. They don't take one side or the other. They just sit on the fence and see what happens and essentially don't include me. Don't draw me into it. I'm happy just sitting here watching. But there's more and more police who are coming out with an opinion on the cases and Good or bad, I don't care whether it's positive or negative. I don't care. It's just good that they're getting off the fence, in my view, and talking about it, which brings me to this next one, which just blew me away when I got it. This officer is a serving member of the police and very, very high up the ladder. Comment on the case? That really heartened me that there are police who do have a moral compass I am a serving Queensland police officer. After listening to the Who Killed Leanne Holland podcast, I have zero doubt the maggot was planted. The case against Stafford when dissected is flimsy in my view. There is certainly some doubt in my mind. However, I pick some parts of how he recalled events many years later which concern me. I saw some evasion. Maybe after 15 years inside you'd be different. I would think so. Leo Freeney and Dr Ansford are both at the top of their field. If Leo says it didn't happen in the bathroom, it didn't. I've seen enough blunt force murders to know even a crime scene specialist couldn't clean up the blood it would leave. To suggest a couple of random spots are indicative of a serious beating sufficient to kill someone is farcical. The bank teller and the school friend of Holland's, my God, how can anyone discount that? The bank teller is, as you say, bulletproof. The money she withdrew? I'd be looking towards that person, perhaps. The other chap responsible for the murder less than a month later? Well, I don't believe in coincidences like you. I don't think any serial killer has 100% the same MO as they learn as one of your profilers, I think it was said. As for the trail bike police just finding her? Well... There's a good lie there. I could go on and on. I would be crucified for speaking out. You know how the job works. It leaves a bitter taste in my mouth knowing how the machine works and the cover-up that is obviously going on in the failure to release the review. I question what it contains and what rider went with the initial impetus for the review. Was it balanced 
or more about shoring up the original corrupt investigation to save organisational face. I would suggest the second option, being suspicious by nature. I know it will be a cover-your-ass moment with the QPS and government, as there will have been a dollar rider coming down from George Street to find nothing, or they will have to pay. Never mind the loss of face for the QPS. It's all politics. If you sully the reputation or public image, you paint a target on yourself, and heaven forbid you are critical of someone. I've seen how they went after Flory. The witch hunt on him was disgraceful. I'm always entertained by the hierarchy, espousing ethical and transparent behaviour when the reality is there are a lot of things within the organisation kept in the dark for various reasons. Wow, that is just incredible. That is one interesting and powerful email, it is. Graham. It is. I'm James, blown away. It's just incredible. One of the points I really agree with is the, the bank teller's evidence. You know, mm. how can anyone discount that? And he agrees by saying, as we said, it's bulletproof. So what happened to the money she withdrew? If you accept the bank teller's evidence, she had to have returned that bank book and the money to the great uncle, Herbert Holland, mm-hmm. which he denies, of course, as far as I'm mm-hmm. concerned, the bank teller evidence is bulletproof, mm-hmm. and, which means she's alive until at least 11.30am, 12 midday. That's absolutely terrible, isn't it? It is. Somebody with the uh, courage to speak out about something they don't see or be a whistleblower, as people know it, know that as, and uh, they get crucified for it. What is so amazing is the officer has such a high position in the service. There are police there with a moral compass, and this officer obviously has a moral compass and is using it, is not happy with the way the case went. Yeah. So, as I said before, last time police officer confided something to me I got a call from ethical standards ESC but they weren't concerned about the allegations they wanted the name of the officer who'd made who'd told me it's just outrageous I'm expecting a call this time after this episode drops from ethical standards saying what's the name of the officer who made those comments about the case they can't start an investigation to find who leaked the review to channel 7 but they can go after someone who makes a comment or is critical of them. I'm expecting a call from ESC to say, put that one. And just on that, I mentioned to the officer in our discussions who I suspected was the senior police officer, the very, very senior police officer, who leaked the report to Channel 7 and the officer agreed with my assessments. What a joke. I'm not in the job. I can identify who probably leaked it, but they can't. And just on that, if you aren't familiar with the Rick Flory case, you should Google Rick Flory, and that's an example of what happens when you are a whistleblower. So, Graham, what's a bit about that's Rick right. Flory? He leaked video of four or five, six police bashing a handcuffed prisoner in the Southport Watch House. The Queensland Police pursued him for seven years before they charged him over the leak. He beat the charge. His career was in the toilet. He left the police. And I think he's now mm. running as an independent candidate in the state elections on the Gold Coast, so good for him. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Cool. The DNA inquiry. Jamie, have you been following that? Uh, no, I, I was waiting for a few episodes to get banked up before I did. Mm. Headley Thomas uh, covers it very well in his podcast, Shandy's Legacy. He's done an excellent job on that. But there's going to be some interesting developments out of that DNA inquiry, in my opinion and how it impacts on justice in Queensland. 
So we'll just have to wait and see. Graham Stafford's solicitor, by the way, wrote a submission to the DNA inquiry. Not DNA wasn't around when Leanne was murdered, but it was when the police review conducted their review in 2010, 2012. And there were problems with mm-hmm. that, so he wrote a submission to the inquiry on that. And we'll talk about that in a, in a later episode. So as I said, we're going to review the review in depth starting next episode, appropriately called Happy Ending. In the meantime, Jamie, even more evidence comes out. What is it about this case, 30 years old, and new evidence is coming out? So first up, we got the wheelie bin. There was a bit of contention around the wheelie bin. Graham, I'll get you to refresh uh, the listener's memory, but you sent me two photographs um, of these bins uh, recently. Uh, one of them was the wheelie bin full, and the other shows the police sorting through the contents of the bin. We put the photos on the Facebook page. If you want to have a look, you can, so you can understand what we're saying here. The wheelie bin went out on the Monday night, collection Tuesday morning. Melissa Holland and Terry Holland denied putting the bin out. It was usually Terry's job to do it. He denied it. Graham Stafford said he didn't put the bin out. So the conclusion was that he was lying and he must have put the bin out and he must have put it out to dispose of evidence. They weren't able to say what evidence. Can you believe this? In the 1992 Court of Appeal and in the 1997 Court of Appeal, there was comment by the judges, Graham Stafford putting the bin out showed guilt. Yeah. No evidence was found when they went through the bin. There was no evidence found. No blood, no... Shower curtain. Yeah, which they suspected he wrapped her in. And nothing, nothing, no evidence. But it still went to trial... It still went to the jury, and it went to the appeal, as I said, that he was lying because he put the wheelie bin out. Now, those photos that we put on the Facebook page, I looked at those, of course, in 1992 and afterwards. Paul Wilson looked at them. Later on, Joe Crowley looked at them. You've looked at them. We were all scratching our heads because the wheelie bin is full. Mm-hmm. The bin was supposedly collected on the Tuesday, and this photo was taken either Wednesday or Thursday. The police say Thursday. I'm not sure which, actually. On the Thursday, two days later, the wheelie bin's full again. And we're looking at that saying, well, well, that's sort of pretty weird. The bin must have been collected on Tuesday, and then the occupants have managed to fill the bin again in two days. As I said, police searched that. There was no evidence of blood or anything to connect him to the murder, but he was lying when he denied putting the bin out. And Graham Stafford commented to me a couple of years ago, he said, I didn't think the bin went out on a Tuesday anyway. Here is what the police review had to say in relation to the bin evidence. The delay in raising any concerns or alarms about Leanne Holland's whereabouts also allowed for someone to put the wheelie bin out for rubbish collection on the morning of Tuesday the 24th of September 1991, prior to any knowledge of Leanne Holland's actual disappearance. Why someone else chose to put the bin out rather than leave it for Terry to do as was the normal practice can only be speculated on. Given that it was established that the rubbish was collected that day as per the normal routine for the Ipswich City Council rubbish collection in that area. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. On the evidence at hand, the only person to benefit from this action was Graham Stafford, given the forensic evidence that has been identified in the course of this review. So forceful in their conclusion. So sure. Even though no evidence was found in the rubbish bin, Graham Stafford was the only person to benefit from this action. What? Even when they were wrong, they were right. When you do not have eyewitnesses, when you do not have a confession, when you do not have a motive, this type of evidence becomes crucial. The evidence was not proof of guilt or innocence, but it was another piece of circumstantial evidence that the police and Crown used to build their case. Another brick wall. A strong circumstantial and forensic case against Graham Stafford. And then it wasn't. So I've got a bricklaying trade, right, Graham? I know that it all starts in the foundation. The first course has to be right. You can't just start throwing bricks down and hope you're going to get to where you need to be and it's going to be neat, tidy, and it's all going to fit. It just won't work. It'll crumble. It has to be right from the start. It has to be level, straight, plumb, and square. And that's not what this case was. They just started throwing things around and it fell apart. Where's the foundation in the investigation of the Leanne Holland murder, Jamie? It seems pretty flimsy. Yeah. Yeah. The point of this whole exercise is that in September this year, 2022, I contacted the Ipswich City Council requesting advice of the bin collection day for Goodner in September 1991. Guess what? It was never Tuesday. What? It was it was Friday <laughs> and then Thursday. Can you believe this? Wow. And it's still Thursday. This mm. is what we found throughout this case. You know, they present this, oh, here's a factual, this is what really happened and Stafford's guilty. They haven't done their homework. Yeah, so if he's going to put the bin out on Monday night to dispose of evidence, is he really going to leave it there for three to four days sitting there? Yeah. For everyone to see or anyone to be inquisitive and open the bin. And because he doesn't. It doesn't seem likely. And because he doesn't admit to putting the bin out, he's lying. Yeah. And and that's proof of guilt. Yeah, it does seem to be a bit of a bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Did you put the bin out? Oh no. Oh, you're lying. Guilty. Yeah. And and the fact that we didn't find any evidence in it, well, that doesn't matter. You're still lying. Yeah. It's not good. And back so we're back to the maggot, Jamie. Oh, I thought we were done with this maggot. Well, Apart from the Queensland police, I don't think there is anyone on the planet who believes there was ever a maggot in the boot of Graham Stafford's car. Mm. And Queensland police really believe that denial is a river in Egypt, mate. And just when we thought we heard everything there was to ever know about this maggot, another piece of evidence crawls out from under the tool bag in the boot of Graham Stafford's car, right next to where the maggot was or wasn't. Evidence never heard before. So just to refresh your memory, the maggot was seen in the boot of Graham Stafford's car at the house on the Wednesday, apparently. But it wasn't seized, it wasn't photographed, it wasn't videotaped. Even though both of those things were available to police at the time, it wasn't even recorded in any police notebook. The car was then taken to police headquarters so that it could be searched in a secure scientific environment. Christine environment comes to mind. And 24 hours later, on the Thursday, the maggot was found again, apparently, alive and seized, not photographed again, wasn't videotaped again, and not recorded in any official police notebook again. And the numbering of the bottles was wrong. And this is some conversation 
at the trial in relation to the maggot. Why didn't you take possession of the maggot at that stage? I didn't take possession of any items from the vehicle. I requested that it be towed away so that I could make further examination at the scientific section. At some subsequent time, did you make a further examination of this vehicle? Yes, I did the following day. That is 26 September? That's correct, yes. What time did you start your examination? Approximately 11 o'clock in the morning. If we could go to the boot, what was your practice in relation to the boot? I removed all the items from the boot and placed them on the floor of the examination area so I could examine them individually. Exhibit 27. Did you see the maggot again? Yes, I did. What time did you take possession of the maggot? Approximately 12 o'clock. In relation to the maggot found on the Wednesday and the reasons why you didn't record it or photograph it at that time, was there any reason that you didn't do it? At the time I examined the car on the Wednesday, I only made cursory notes of my examination. I bundled the car up, closed it up, and made sure that it was sent back to the scientific section for further investigation. I did not wish to disturb it in any way until I could get it into controlled conditions. So, Jamie, three independent forensic scientists called bullshit on that story, stating a maggot could not survive that long in that environment. And Mm. let's not forget, the scientific officer was recorded at the other end of town at 11.35am delivering exhibits to Queensland Health. Interesting. It's just ridiculous. It means he suspended his search of the car, and why would he, so that he can go and deliver exhibits? He starts a search at 11am, ceases at 11.20am, goes to... Queensland Health comes back and starts his search again and da-da, finds a maggot. Well, if you believe that, good luck. Mm. Now, all of that was conveniently ignored by the police review. Didn't make any comment about it. Instead, they produced an unnamed work experience student who no one ever heard of before and never come out in evidence who happened to be at the Holland House that day and made a written record of the maggot. So you've got trained police, about half a dozen trained police. No one can record the maggot, photograph it. A 16- or 17-year-old work experience student happens to record it. Of course, her details and what she saw and all the rest of it have been redacted in the police review. We can't check it. We can't independently assess it, which is what you do if you've got something that you don't want people to check and assess. You just redact it. So despite a tsunami of evidence pointing to the fact that there was never a maggot in the boot, the police accept the work experience student story and ignore the rest. Amazing. So we just have to take the word for it because we can't see it. It's been redacted in the review. So it's basically just we have to just accept it or not accept it. Which brings me to Exhibit 27. And we put that on the Facebook page as well. And that is a photograph of the contents of Graham Stafford's car boot laid out on the concrete. I've been looking at that photograph for 20 years, Jamie. I pick it up, I put it down, I pick it up, I put it down. It just didn't seem right to me. It just mm-hmm. didn't seem right. And I'd pick it up. and But I've never said anything about it before because, you know, I wasn't certain. I, you can't just go making up stories. You, you need facts. So I've never said anything about it before. I asked Joe Crowley to have a look at it and just 
see what he thought of it because it just looked too unscientific to me. It just wasn't happy with it. So he pointed me to evidence in the trial and evidence at the committal proceedings. It's almost certain that photograph was taken on the Wednesday, Jamie, at the house. I don't believe the evidence shows that it was taken on the Thursday. The obvious place to confirm all that would be the police photographer's statement, but we don't have a copy of it. And so we can't. But all throughout the police review, they mention photographs that were taken on the Wednesday. They list the photograph number. They list the day. But they make no mention of photographs that were taken on the Thursday. And any photographs that ended up in his exhibit, they mention the photograph number and they mention the date it was taken. But there's no comment about this photograph. Mm. All I can suggest is it was taken on the Wednesday, if that's the case, if the contents of that boot were taken out, well, why wouldn't you take possession of the maggot and why wouldn't you photograph it at that time? Yeah, and you're right. Like, I'm looking at the photograph right now and it looks like a, you know, a pretty dirty, you know, concrete floor, like a garage, and it looks like a roller door in the background, like a typical garage roller door. It doesn't look like a scientific environment to me. No, it does make the maggot evidence a bit... Flimsy. Megan Evans was always flimsy, but this just mm-hmm. now it makes it look more flimsy. At the committal, the prosecutor, he tendered all the photographs for the trial. What he said was, here's 21 photographs taken at the house at 70A Alice Street, Goodner. Here's 34 photographs of the body of the deceased. Here's 50 photographs of the scene where the body was located. At no point did he say, oh, and here's a photograph of the boot of the car taken at the scientific uh, headquarters. Nothing like that. Nothing. Right. And if you don't tend to the photographs, you can't use them. You can't refer to them. On that basis, it was taken at 70A Alice Street. So mm. just another questionable circumstance surrounding that maggot, Jamie. Okay. Is there even an outside chance that photo was taken on the Thursday? Well, I guess there is. But no other photos were taken on the Thursday at police headquarters that we can determine. The prosecutor did not submit into evidence any photos taken on Thursday at headquarters. The scientific officer stated the maggot was not photographed on the Thursday. Now think about that. If the photographer was present to take a photo of the contents of the boot laid out on the concrete, then naturally he would have been well situated to photograph the maggot, right? And as I said, the police review mentioned that many, many photographs taken on the Wednesday, providing their numbers and the date, but nothing about photographs taken on the Thursday. But I'm sure if asked, the review will have some explanation why they did not mention the Thursday photographs. But there are more, and <laughs> it's never ending with that, Maggot. We'll talk about them in a later episode. And speaking of that, if you look closely at that photograph, there is a sponge lying on the concrete. Yep. There was a sponge found, supposedly, in the boot of Graham Stafford's car with a hair attached to it, which police claimed was similar in colour and length to Leanne Holland's hair, and it got there when he placed her body in the boot of the car. Mm-hmm. Who's to say that there wasn't a hair on the concrete and it's been picked up there? Exactly. And also, when you live with somebody, of course. right, it's, you know, your DNA or your hair yeah, does yeah, travel. I mean, I find hair yeah, everywhere in my exactly. house. Exactly. There's transference there all the time. So, 
Yeah. And there's other things like I compared the contents of that photograph to the video of the inspection of the car and it's on the Facebook page if anyone uh, wants to go through the and have a look at it. But I compared the contents of the photograph to the video. In the photograph, the car jack is on the left-hand side of the photograph next to the side of the car. In the video, it's at the back of the boot closest to the car lock. It's been moved. There's a plastic bag that's been relocated. To be fair, the police said that they picked up the tool bag and saw the maggot. They didn't say they picked up the jack and looked under that. And if you do pick it up, don't you pick it up and put it back down. You don't pick it up and hold it and walk around with it and then put it back in another part of the boot. No. This has been picked up and put in another part of the boot. What's the significance of Exhibit 27? I just think it's more clarification that the maggot was never in the boot of that car. I'm sorry if I come across angry here, Jamie, but I'm just so frustrated over this case. You know, it's as clear as day that there was problems with the case. The review team chose to go down a path that they wanted to go down and the Attorney-General would not instruct an inquest be held. The police say to the Attorney-General, oh, there's no need for an inquest, so the Attorney-General says, oh, well, there's no need for an inquest. What I say is, Shannon Fenneman, Attorney-General, do your job. Order a coronial inquiry. And when the police say there's no need for an inquiry, ignore them. They have a vested interest in refusing inquest. So that's it for denial, Jamie. So join us next time for Happy Ending. I wonder why it's named Happy Ending, Graham. Well, the listeners will just have to wait and find out, won't they? <laughs> well, I certainly learned uh, a lot today and I've... Um, I've just been gobsmacked uh, during the last, you know, few weeks talking with you about this case and and a few of the things that have gone wrong. And perhaps I can just leave the listeners with this comment: Police investigating police, what could possibly go wrong? Mm-hmm. Well said, and thank you for joining us for episode eighteen, denial. We'll be releasing episode nineteen very shortly. Happy ending! So stay tuned for that, and thank you for giving us your time. Don't forget to share this episode with your friends and family. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Until next time. Yep. Thank you. Don't forget to rate and review and subscribe to it. Who Killed Leanne Holland is a 610 Media production. This episode was written and fact-checked by Graham Crowley. The music for this episode was entirely produced by Bubba Beats. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Who Killed Leanne Holland and also at 610 Media Group. Also head to our websites and you can read our blogs and see pictures at whokilledleanholland.com and 610mediagroup.com. And please, if you're enjoying the show, share us with your friends and don't forget to rate and review us. It does help. And a special thanks to Yamaha Music Australia, Audio Technica Australia, Zoom Australia, Isotope and Sound Theory. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.